Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for more details. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under Wizards of the Coast 2017 fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Today we continue with Chapter 12 of Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey. Urza was an honorable man, and an honest one. Even when he'd been an ordinary man, if the word ordinary had ever applied to Urza the Artificer, Urza had no great use for romance or affection, but he tolerated friendship, one friend at a time. After Zancha had pushed him out of Frexia, He'd accepted her as a friend, and in the 3,000 years since, Zanja had never asked for more, nor settled for less. They'd stumbled through three worlds before the day during which Urza had ridden his dragon to Frexia ended. Zanja was seedier than Urza by then, which meant they were leaning against each other when Zanja released her armor to the cool night mist. There were unfamiliar stars peeking through the mist and a trio of blue-white moons. Far enough, she whispered. Her voice had been wrecked by the blood, bad air of four f- different worlds. I've got to rest. It's not safe. I hear him. Yog. Such a cr- cringe whenever Urza started to say that word. She seized the crumbling substance of his ornately armored tunic. You're calling the ineffable. Never say that. Never do that. Every time you say that name, then Ineffable can hear you. Of all the things I taught you in the faint of flesh, that one I believe with all my strength, you'll never be safe until you burn that name from your memory. Sparks danced across Urza's eyes, which was a featureless black, since he dragged him away from Phyrexia. Sancha didn't know what he saw, except that it spooked him, and anything that unnerved Urza was more than enough for her. Urza took her suggestion to heart. Heat radiated from his face. Wait, not want not. He, if he could literally burn something from his memory, he'd probably survive it too. Still, she put more distance between them, leading him by the wrist to a rock where he could sit. Water, Zancha. Could you bring me water? He was blind, at least to real things. His vision, he said, was all spots and bubbles, as if he'd stared too long at the sun. There had been no sun above the four sphere, but the dragon had been the target of all the weapons, sorcerers, elementals, and all the demons could aim. You'll stay right here, she asked. I'll try. Zancha asked what he meant. She set her own feet on the enough worlds to have a sharp sense of where she could survive and where she couldn't. Phyrexia and the three worlds after Phyrexia were inhospitable, but this three noon world was viable. She had her cyst, her heart, and tucked inside her tunic, an ambulator. If Erna vanished before she returned, it wouldn't be the end of her. Heavy rains had recently fallen. Sancha saw water at the base of the hill where they emerged from between worlds. Carrying it was another matter. She quenched her thirst from her own cup hands, but for Urza, she stripped off her tunic, sopped up the water, and carried it, dripping up the hill. Urza's attempt, attempt to remain seated up a rock had been successful. Silhouetted against the soft-lit night sky, his shoulders were slumped forward. His chin had disappeared in the shadows of his armored tunic. His hands laid under his lap. Urza, his chin rose. I've brought you water. 
without grace or dignity, as long as it is wet. She guided his hand to the sopping cloth, quite wet. Urza sucked moisture from the cloth, then wiped his face. When he'd finished, he let her tunic fall. Sancha sat at his feet. Is there anything more I can do for you? Will you eat? Food might help. I smell berries. It's summer's here. He shook his head. Just sit beside me. Sleep if you can, child. Morning will come. A summer morning. Zancha thought on her tunic. The night was cold, not cool. The garment was uncomfortable, nothing worse. Discomfort was nothing unfamiliar. She got comfortable against the rock. Irva shifted his hand to the top of her head. I told you to stay behind. I did, for a little while. You could have been hurt. I may have left you in Phyrexia forever. Urza was Urza, at the center of his world and every other. On a night like this, after they they survive, his vain glory was reassuring. Zancho relaxed. It went otherwise, Urza. I was neither hurt nor left behind. I'd still be there, but for you. You'd be dead, Urza, if you can die, or in the seventh sphere, if you can't, wishing that you could. The seventh sphere, is that the place where, he hesitated, wherein the ineffable punishes demons? Yes. Then I should thank you. Yes, Zanjo repeated. And you should have listened to me when I told you what to, told you what weighed in Frexia. I'll build another dragon, bigger, stronger. I know where Frexia is now. Tucked across a fathomless chasm. I've never seen it walking. I wouldn't see it now, but I know I can go back. They will die, Zancha. I will leap them like a field of overripe grain. The day of Mishra's vengeance is closer today than yesterday. Zancha swallowed an ordinary law. yawn. You are surrounded, Urza. The fourth fake leg went right after I climbed in. You destroyed hundreds of Phyrexians. Yet there are as many around you at the end as there had been in the beginning. I will change my design. A thousand legs wouldn't be enough. You can't destroy every Phyrexian by fighting. You need allies and an army three times the size of Phyrexia. Tactics. Strategy. Sancho thought of the Heartbox. Or the perfect target for a stealthy attack. And since when did you become my war consul, child? Urza could be disdainful. Strategy and tactics indeed. She needed to be careful when she mentioned the heart vault. Tonight, while Urza was blind and she was exhausted, wasn't the right time to reveal her discoveries. Another yawn escaped, entirely normal, without the mnemonic. The cyst was just a lump in her stomach. Sleep, child. I am grateful. I underestimated my enemy. I'll never do that again. Sancho was too tired to celebrate what little victory she'd achieved. She fell asleep thinking that she'd be alone when she woke. She was, but Urza hadn't gone far. With nothing more than grass, twigs, and small stones, Zanja's companion had recreated the forest sphere battleground in an area no more than two square paces. His dragon made from twigs and woven grass, towering over the other replicas in the precisely the proportion she'd remembered. She'd expect it to move. I'm odd, she admitted before her shadow fell across Urza Small wondered. You must be feeling better. As good as a fool can feel. It was a comment that begged questions, but Urza had learned to tread softly through confusion. You can see again? Yes, yes, he looked up. Black pupils, hazel irises, white squirrel. You've had the right of it, Sancha. Burn that name out of my mind. As soon as I did, I began to feel like myself again. Ignorant and foolish. No one was hurt. No planes were damaged. As few fears, the priest will 
be a long time repairing the damage. And you'd have just destroyed a score of their dragons and wyvern. Better than I expected, honestly. But not good enough. If I'd come down here, or as I touched the ground behind the stone furnished, they quickly rearranged the delicate fitters. If I had a wall of fire at my back, and then they couldn't have encircled me. Sancho started a new way. How would that have been better? With the furs behind you, they'd have held in one place almost from the start. Ezra gave her a look that sparkled. She changed her stomach. Say, change the subject. Are we staying here while you're building another dragon? No. The multiverse is real, Sancha. At least other plane I'd ever found was real. Until yesterday, when I found Phyrexia. Going there and leaving, those were walking strides, like I'd never taken before. As if I'd leaped a vast chasm in a southern bound. The chasm, I now realize, is everywhere. And Phyrexia is its far side. No matter where we are, we're only one leap from our enemy, and it from us. Even so, I'd feel better when I put a few knots in my tail trail. She had no argument with that plan. Then what? Another dragon? An Argy? Allies? I found something yesterday, Urza. Something I thought was probably lies. I found my heart. Sancha slid her hand into her boot. The amber continued to glow. She offered it to Urza. That is, well... It's not your heart, Sancha. He didn't take it. Your heart breathes be behind your ribs, child. The Frexians lied to you. They took your past and your future, but they didn't take your heart. Urza guided her empty hand to her breastbone. There. Can you feel it? She nodded. All flesh had a blood heart in his breast. Newts in the flame of breath had their hearts until it complicated. This is different, she insisted, and described the vault where Calm's heart shivered. We are connected to our hearts. We are taught that the ineffable keeps watch over our hearts and records our errors on the surface. Too many errors, and she drew a line against her throat. Erza took the amber and held it to the sun. Zancha couldn't see his face or his eyes, but a strangeness not like the between worlds tightened around her. She couldn't breathe, couldn't even muster the strength or will to gasp, until Erza lowered his hand. His face, when he turned towards her again, was not pleased. Of all abominations, this is the greatest. Urza held the amber above her outstretched hand but did not release it. I would not call it a heart, yet it falls short of a power stone. I can imagine no purpose for it except the one you describe. And you know where the vault is? Zancha sensed Urza had asked a critical question, and her life might depend on her answer. She might have lied. If she'd had, would it satisfy him? I knew it was somewhere in the faint of flesh. You didn't tell me? I didn't want to die with all the rest of Phyrexia. I wasn't certain. I thought you'd laugh and call me a child again, and I would be too ashamed to follow you. Not quite an answer, but the truth and apparently satisfactory. Urza dropped the answer into her hands without conscious thought. Sancha clutched against her blood heart. I wouldn't have, Sancha began, then stopped abruptly and looked down at her grass and trick dragon. No. Very possibly your concerns were justified. I do not imagine abominations and have discouraged you, thinking you imagined them. I allowed my... For self to forget that your mind is empty. Affections have no imagination. He crushed the dragon beneath his boot. Another mistake. Another error. Forgive me, Misha. I cannot see when I need to see. And opportunities slipped away from me. If only I could relieve yesterday instead of tomorrow. You can go back as soon as you restored your strength. If I could find the vault. Urza shuddered. They know me now. Your inevitable knows me. I cannot return to Phyrexia. Not without absolute certainty of success and overwhelming strength. For the sake of vengeance, I must be cautious. I cannot make any more mistakes. 
I'd be fouled up before I set foot on your first fear. Janta kept her mouth shut. It wasn't her first fear. Urza had powers that Frexa coveted, but it was oddly reluctant to use them. He had to overwhelm whatever lay behind him, and when he could make one of his mistakes, that mistake became a fortress. I could go. I have an ambulator. She lifted the hem of her tunic, revealing the small black disc tusked beneath her belt. If you made a smaller dragon, I could turn it loose on the vault. Urza smiled. Your courage is laudable, child, but you couldn't hope to succeed. We'll talk no more of it. He reached for the portal. Zanja retreated, folding her arms defensively over her belly. Come, child. You have no need for such an artifact. It's beyond your understanding. Let me have it. I'm not a child, she mourned, the least incendiary comment seething on the back of her tongue. You see, simply having the Frexian artifact so close to me taints you, as that name yesterday threatened to taint me. You have the strength to resist its corruption. You become willful. Between that and your heart, you're overwhelmed, Sancha. I should take both from you for your own safety, but I'll leave your heart if you give me the ambulator. It's mine, Sancha protested and rolled up her lip. She seen, she's, she'd seen born children in her travels and recognized her behavior. Urza didn't have to stare, stare another word. Sancha handed the ambulator over. Thank you, Zensha. I will study it closely. Urza held the ambulator between his fingertips where it vanished. Perhaps he would study it. Perhaps he would find a way to add its properties to her cyst. Whichever or whatever, Zensha didn't think she'd see it again. But she kept her heart. Urza could have everything else, not that. He'd walk through two more worlds that day, and two more the next, and the next after that, making knots in their trail. After two score... Worlds and a half as many days, Shanta score the next would be her last. She let go of his hands and remained behind. Any world would be better than another between world passage. But the next world was yellow gas, wind, and lightning that seemed particularly attractive to her armor. And the world after that had no air. Urza made an underground chamber where Zampia could breathe without her armor and catch up on her sleep. They came to a swamp with cone-shaped insects as long as her forearm, an abundance of frog. Not Sancha's favorite sort of place, it reminded her of Frexia's first fear. But she could breathe and eat, and the water, though brackish, didn't make her sick. This is far enough for me, she announced when Urza held out his hand. I don't need to visit every other world. Only a few more, Urza protested. He began to pace. Since Phyrexia, his relentlessness had steadily worsened until he could scarcely stand still. He didn't even try to sleep. I'm tired, she told him. You slept last night. Last night? When was last night? Where was last night? The world with the old trees? The one with the two suns? I'm going to stay put long enough to see the seasons change. Farmer, Urza chided her. An indistinct improvement over child. And the truth is well. She'd spent too much time scratching in Phyrexia's sterile soil not to appreciate worlds where plants grew naturally. I want a home. So do I. An admission she hadn't expected. It's here, Zancha. Domeria. Home. I can feel it every time we walk, but at least every step, a darkness blocked me. Dark darkness was here the last time before I found you. It was nothing like I'd encountered before. I was sure it would pass, but it hasn't. It's still here. Stronger than before. Like a knife, she asked. Remembering the rooms of newts trapped on the other side of the broken portals. A knife? No. It's as if the moth's first had solved had shattered. 
as if Donaria and all the planes that are bound to it have been broken apart. I've walked all around, approaching it from every vantage, yet every time it's the same. There's a darkness that is cold and repels me. I've been making a map in my mind, a shape in it beyond words. And when it's done, I'll know that Donaria, Dominaria is completely sealed for me and Phyrexia. It's my fault, you know. It's not merely vengeance that I require for Phyrexia. I require atonement. The Phyrexians corrupted and destroyed my brother. That's vengeance. But we, my brother and I, let them back into Domeria when we destroyed the Thran safeguards. The land itself has not forgiven me, won't forgive me, until I've atoned for my errors by destroying Phyrexia. Dominaria locks me out as it locks up the Phyrexians. I cannot go home until what I have done, what even the Thran could do, destroys Phyrexia. I want to go home, Xantia. And you, who can't remember where you're born, cannot know true homesickness as I know it. I have not thought it would be so difficult. The land does not forgive. It has sealed itself against me. But it has sealed itself against Phyrexia too. And though my heart aches, I am content with my exile, knowing that my home is safe. Xantia rubbed her temples. There is truth. You see tangled through Urza's self-centered delusions. Search your priests don't walk between worlds, she said carefully, when she thought she had the wheat separated from the chaff. When conversations touched Mishra, Dominaria or the mysterious Thran, Urza's moves became less predictable than they usually were. They used ambulators, but I don't know how they set the stones to find new worlds. Maybe you cannot be quite certain that Donaria is safe. I am certain, he insisted, her thoughts raced along by tangents. You figured out how to set the stones of my ambulator? Yes. I set it for Donaria, and it was destroyed. Sancho's mind went dark. There was much she could have said, and no reason to say it. She turned away with a sigh. When I know, beyond doubt, that Domeria is inaccessible, they will look for a hospitable plane. I mean to take your advice, Sancha. I will build an army three times the size of Phyrexia, and ambulators large enough to transport them by the thousands. I examined your ambulator quite thoroughly before it was destroyed, and I can make you another one, once I find the right materials, and I can make it better. Urza expected her to rejoice, so she tried. She took his armor and followed to a few more worlds. Thirty-three, before he was satisfied that Donaria was inaccessible, beyond what he called a shard of the multiverse. Urza insisted that compared to the multiverse, a thousand worlds could be properly termed a few worlds. The multiverse meant little to her. Urza's efforts to explain the planes and the next eye that composed it meant less. But the fact that Urza did try to explain it meant a lot. I need a friend, he explained. One lonely night on a world where the air was old and nothing remained alive. I need to talk with someone who has seen what I have seen, some of it, enough to listen without going numb from despair. And after I have talked, I need to hear the voice that's not my own. But you never listen to me. I always listen, Zancha, and you are rarely correct. I cannot replace what the Frexians took away from you. Your mind is mostly empty, and what isn't empty is filled with Frexian rubbish. You recite their lies because you don't know better. Your advice, child, is untrustworthy. But you, yourself, are my friend. Urza hadn't called her child since they walked away from Dominaria, and Sancha didn't like to think that after so much time together, he continued to distrust her. But after a friendship, true friendship, was a gift not to be overlooked. I will never betray you, Sancha said softly, taking his hand between hers. It was like a stone at first, flexible stone. 
Then it softened, warmed, and became flesh. I want nothing to be more than I want nothing more than be your friend, Urza. He smiled a rare and mortal gesture. I'll take you wherever you want, but I'd rather you wanted to remain with me until we find a plane that satisfies both of us. Late that night, when the fire was cold and Urza had gone wandering as he usually did while she slept, Urza sharpened her knife and made an incision in her left flank, the side opposite to her cyst. She tucked her amber heart into the gasp, sealed it with a paste of ashes, then bound it tightly with cloth torn from her spare clothes. Urza knew immediately. She'd been a fool to think he wouldn't. I swallowed it my own way, she told him, in no mood for a lengthy artifact. It's part of me now, where it belongs. I'll never lose it, no matter where you take me. Zancha wanted a world where she could pretend she'd been born. Never mind that. By the best guess, she was living near the end of the 6th century, no more than seven decades younger than Urza himself. Urza wanted a plane where he could recruit an army. Their wants, she thought, would have been incompatible, and perhaps they wouldn't have been if Urza had been able to sleep. To give him his due, Zanji granted that Urza tried to sleep. He knew he needed to dream, but whenever he attempted that treacherous descent from wakefulness, he found nightmares itself, screaming nightmares that spread from the stench of rotting fish on a summer's day, until anyone with a half-day's journey could see the flames of Phyrexia and the metal and flesh and the apparition that Urza called Mishra. Strangers did not welcome them for long. Recruiting an army was impossible. When she was lucky, Sancha nursed a single harvest in the ground before they walked again. When they found a truly hospitable world with abundant rich soil, a broad swath of temperate comets and a wealth of vigorous cultures, Sancha suggested that Urza build himself a tower on the lowest island in the largest sea. He could walk to such a tower without difficulty and sleep she'd hope, without disturbing anyone. Urza called the word Moag, and it became the home Zancha had dreamed about. He built a sheer walled tower with neither doors nor windows, and filled it with artifacts. Within a decade, its rocky shores had become a place of prophecy and learning, where Urza warned pilgrims of Phyrexian evil and laid the foundations for the army he hoped eventually to raise. Zancha built a cottage with a garden, and the season's when it didn't need tending, she yawned and went exploring. Urza had made her another summoning crystal, which she wore in her friendship, but never expected to use. They met at his island, wherever the moon was full, nowhere else, no other time. They became friends who could talk about anything, because they knew which questions to avoid. For thirty years, life, such as apparently immortal life, could not have been better, until the bright autumn day on Morag's most intriguing southern confident when Zanja caught the unexpected, unforgettable scent of glistening oil. She followed it to the source, the nearly refurbished temple of the fire god, with a taste of gold and blood sacrifice. A blown flesh novice sat beside the burning elves box, for the heath of the poor, he said, and though it looked like an extortion, Zanja threw a copper into the flames. She yawned out her armor before entering the sanctuary. Trouble found her, one Phyrexian to another, before she reached the firebound altar. Wrapped in concealing robes, it showed only its face, which had the jowls and grizzled beard of a mature man, and the reek of the complicated. In its gloved hand, it carried a gnarled wooden staff that immediately roused Zetch's suspicions. 
He, she had a small sword on her hips. A mace would have been more useful, but out of keeping with the rest of her dandy disguise. Where have you been? It asked in a friction whisper that could have been mistaken for an insect whispering. Waiting, Sandra replied with a new soft inflection, waiting to see what would happen next. It came faster than she expected. There was a priest of some t new type inside those robes, and his staff was as false as its face. A web of golden power struck her armor. The priest wasn't expecting surprises, not from a newt. Sancha kicked it in the midsection and again on the chin as it fell. Its head separated from its neck, leaving its flesh behind. Sancha understood instantly why Ursa could not purge his brother's me last memory from his mind. She reached out for the wooden staff. She reached for the not wooden staff and realized belatedly that there had been a witness, Phyrexian witnesses. Four of them were searching out of the recesses to block her path. They all had staffs. She lost the advantage of surprise. The sanctuary roof had a smoke bed above the altar. Sancha grabbed the priest's head instead of the staff as she braced herself against the agony of the ringing spheres from the cyst, where the armory was still in place around her. There is blood in the sphere, but she, it resisted the efforts of the Phyrexians and their staffs to bring it down as they expanded and lifted her out of immediate danger. Willpower got Sancha drifting silently just above the rooftops south of the temple, but Willpower couldn't lift her high enough to catch the winds that would carry her to true safety beyond the walls. The cyst couldn't maintain both the sphere and the armor for long. Already, knife pains ripped through her stomach, and her mouth had already filled with blood. Woozy and de desperate, Sancha went to the ground in the foulest maiden she could find, a gaping pit beyond a boneyard. She thought she'd die when the sphere dissolved on contact with the maiden's scum, and she found herself shoulder-deep in fermented filth. With a death grip on the metal head, if she dropped it, she could never have the courage to fish it out. Sancha released her armor as well and hoped that controlled nausea wouldn't prevent the cyst from recharging itself. By sunset, when swarms of insects took her for the evening meal, Sancha was ready to surrender to any Phyrexian brave enough to haul her out of her hiding place. She thought about gods and the inconvenience of not believing in any of them, then filled her lungs for a yawn. With a single sharp pain that threatened for a horrible moment to fold her in half, the cyst discharged. Sancha gasped her way through the mnemonic that created the sphere. And just when she thought she had no endurance left, it began to swell. She was seen. Certainly she was scented, rising above the shambles roof and slowly at first, then faster and the fresh air lifting her up. There were screams, clanging alarms, and from the open roof of the fire god's temple, a uh, diaphorous gout of black sorcery that fell short of its moving target. The winds blew westward into the sunset. Zancha let them carry her higher and higher until the moon was high before she began the long tack that would take her to Urza's tower. The moon was a waxing crescent when Zasha sat down on the tower's roof five nights later. Urza wasn't expected her and wasn't pleased to have her within his tower's walls. Zasha had abandoned her clothes and scrubbed herself raw with sand and water, without quite winning herself to the maiden's aroma. But Urza res reserved his great pleasure for the metal flesh head she stood on his work table. Where did you find that? he demanded, and stood like a stone, while Zancha raced through the account of her misadventure in the southern city. You struck it down before witnesses, and you brought it here as a trophy? What were you thinking? Urza's enraged eyes lit up the chamber. There around him shimmered with between-worlds lights. Zancha thought it was wise to armor herself, but when she opened her mouth, Urza enveloped her in a stiffening paralysis. Naked and defenseless, she endured a scathing lecture about the st stupidity of newts who exposed themselves to enemies, 
and jeopardize the delicate plans of their friends. I smelled glistening oil, Sancha countered, went towards Dawn. Urza released her from his spell. She was angry by then and incautious. I was curious. I didn't know it came from Phyrexian priests. Maybe it was just a coincidental cooking sauce. I didn't plan to destroy Phyrexian, but it seemed better than letting it kill me. And as for witnesses, well, I am sorry about that. I didn't know they were standing there until it was too late. And I brought the head because I thought it'd be better proof, because I wasn't sure he'd believe me without it. Should I let myself be killed or captured? Maybe they sh I should have dropped the head on the roof before they attacked. Would they have been better, wiser on my part? A silver globe appeared in Urza's hand. He cocked his arms. Go ahead. Throw it. Then what? Make me another mistake you can mourn? You can't change the past, Urza. The Frexians were here before I found them. Empty-headed fool that I am. I thought you wanted to know whatever I could learn. However I learned it. Waste not, want not. I thought you'd be glad I survived. The globe vanished in a shower of bright red sparks. I am truly. But they have found me. Frexians are here, Urza. It's not necessarily the same place. How do you sp suppose they found Dominaria in the first place? Search her, please look for more artifacts. That thing, or suggests that the metal head flesh, had a face no one would look at, twice at. The searcher priest had found a nice little world right for the plucking. They set themselves up in the Fire God's cult because that's what Frexia needs more than artifacts. It's ore for its furnaces, and Morag's a metal rich world. They'll destroy Morag, Zancha. It will all happen again. Well, isn't that what you've been waiting for? A chance to right old wrongs? No. No, the price is too high. Urza, Zanja lost pace with him. Forget about listening to me. Do you ever listen to yourself? He stared at her, mortal-eyed, but as if she was a stranger rather than a companion of the centuries. Go, Zanja. I need to think. I will come for you at the full moon. Maybe I don't want to walk. Walk away from all this. Maybe I want my vengeance. Go, child. You're disturbing me. I must think. I'll tell you my decision, but I've made it. Not before. They were back to child again. And he had made his decision. Zancha had once been with Urza too long. And not to know what he was like. Uh, and when he was lying to her. He made a hole in the roof and she took advantage of it. She gathered the weapon she had discarded and a sack that held her traveling sash of gold and gems. These things that the maiden had damaged at all. Only the sash desperately needed replacement. So she took one of Urza's and swapped the contents before yawning out of the spear. The hole closed as soon as she passed through it. Morning had come. A beautiful morning with mackerel clouds streaking north by northeast. The direction Zancha needed if she, they were going back to her cottage. But she decided after heartbeats thought that she wasn't. Zancha set her mouth salt to the fire city, God city. Urza was going to leave Moag and despite her threats, Zancha knew she'd go with him. But if he intended to simply leave, they could have walked already. They nefted another world with warning, less warning. No, Urza had some plan, and Zancha wanted to witness it. As soon as Zancha reached the coast, she found a prosperous villa and sneaked into it by moonlight. She left two silver coins and, a, and a world, another world's garnet brooch on the night's dead, in exchange for her pick of the young heir's wardrobe. His bitches were tight and his boots too big. But here overall, she considered it a fair swap. She didn't linger until sunrise to learn the household's opinion. Sancha scuffed up her fine clothes when she reached the southern city, and wove a tale of tragedy and coincidence for the apothecary, whose shop had the best view of this fire god's temple. 
an owl, an owl-eyed merchant didn't believe a word of what Zancha said, but she could read, count, and compile a script better than either of his journeymen. He took her in with a promise of two meals a day, one hot when cold, and a night palace across the threshold, which is what she'd wanted from the start. She'd sail in to wait. One day, two days, three, four. Urza came on the fifth, or rather, a ball of fire defended from the stars during the fifth night. It struck the temple with hideous force. Masonry stone and burning timbers flew across the plaza, splashing shutters and windows. Sancho got her sword from its hiding place, but an unobserved farewell to the apothecary, then went heading for Phyrexians through the smoke. Sancho found a few as terrified as any born folk, or more so, since glistening oil burned with a hot blue flame. She put an end to the misery, and with her armor to protect her from the both flames and smoke, made her way into sanctuary. The journeymen had succumbed to her questions, and told her where the fire god's priests had their private quarters which was where Zancha expected to find and steal another ambulator. She found a passage back to Phyrexia, but it was like any other ambulator she'd seen before. Instead of a bombless black pool, the flesh-faced priest had a solid-seeming disc that rose edgewise from stone floor. Face on, it was as black as the ambulator Zancha's was familiar with. From behind, it simply wasn't there. One thing hadn't changed. It was still a palm-sized paddle with several black jewels where the disc emerged from the floor. Since she couldn't roll the standing portal up and take it with her, Sancho smashed the paddle with her sword. Smoke and screams bushed out from the black disc before it collapsed. Sancho guessed she'd closed it just in time. A pair of lines gouged into the stone wall was all that remained when the smoke cleared. She was rumbling through shelves and cabinets hoping to find a familiar ambulator when the air grew heavy. The other kind of between worth passage. The Urza's kind of walking passage was open. It's me, she shouted as he came to view. Zancha, what are you doing here? I could have killed you. They never had established whether Urza's armor was protected from Urza's wrath or Urza's mistake. I came for the ambulator. I knew they'd have one. and wasn't sure you'd think to roll it. She had it when she rolled the dragon to Phyrexia. It was a new kind, she admitted. I couldn't roll it up. Urza stared at the lines on the floor. No. It was a very old kind. Did you destroy it? He was so calm and reasonable, it worried her. Yes, I broke the gems. They were screaming, then nothing. Well, perhaps it is enough. If not, I have left my mark above, and I will leave a trail. Are you ready to walk, or are you staying here? You want the Frexians to follow us? Urza nodded, smiling, and held it to his hand. I want them to pursue with us with all their st- strength and leave Moag in peace. Urza took his hand and said, I don't think it works that way. They were between worlds, and her words were lost. Zancha never knew if the second part of Urza's plan bore fruit, but the first was successful behind his wise dream. He stopped laying a deliberate trail after the fourth world became beyond Morag, but that didn't stop the searcher priests and the adventure teams they led. Sometimes she and Urza got a year's respite between attacks, never more. Urza reached into his past for centuries he called Yodians. Never failed guardians shaped from whatever materials a new world offered, clay, stone, or wood. He'd walked her to ice worlds before. There were dark, airless places where the sun was locked among the stars, and ice is hard as steel. Save for the gas worlds where there's no solid ground at all, ice worlds were the least hospitable worlds in the multiverse. They never stayed long on ice, no matter how close the pursuit. Then years after Moag, 
by Urza's reckoning, he found a world where the ice was melting and the air was cool but breathable. Once it had been a world like Moag, whole forests and cities could be glimpsed through the ice when there was light was right. Now it was a brutal place, with men who'd forgot that cities were. Sanja thought it was inhospitable as any airless world, but Urza disagreed. She was disinclined to argue. She hadn't slept soundly since they left Moag. The simple act of closing his eyes was enough to trigger the nightmares, hallucinations of the past, of the ineffable. To Zanja's abiding horror, the forgotten name had returned to Urza's memory and came easily to him whenever he battled through his nightmares. Years without proper sleep had taken their tone. Urza's restlessness had grown into a sort of frenzy. He was never still, always patient or pacing or wringing his hands. He babbled constantly. Zanja fashioned wax earplugs so she could sleep, but fractions on their trail, they never st strayed far apart. And Urza needed her. Without Ur her, Urza often didn't know what was real from what was not. Without her gentle nagging, he would have forgotten to carve the Yodians or given them the appropriate orders. Without her willingness to brave his hallucinations, he would have gouged the gemstone eyes from his skulls and put it into his memory. Sitting on the opposite side of the fire with a score of icy Yodians clanking patrols through the frigid night, Zanjin wondered if she should let him die. They were each other over 800 years old, and though she could still pass for an unbearded youth, Urza looked his age or worse. The arcane power that enabled him to change his appearance at will had become erratic. A night's night tonight, even when he wasn't hallucinating, Urza seemed to be surrounded by a between-worlds miasma. Viewed from some angles, he had no substance at all, just seething light that hurt her eyes. Will you eat? Can you eat? Sancha asked gently, trying to ignore the way the hearth flames were visible through his low robes. Food was no substance for sleep and dreams, but it helped keep Urza looking mortal. She seasoned the stewpot with the aromatic herbs that had tempted him before. But it didn't work this time. I'm hollow, he said. A disturbingly accurate assessment. Food won't fill me, Zancha. Eat all you can. Pack the rest. I feel the eyes of the multiverse upon us. Zancha lost her appetite. When Urza thought the multiverse was watching him, Frexians usually weren't far behind. She forced down a small portion, and the between worlds was easier on a near empty stomach, and filled a war skin with the rest. The ice shaped Yodians were almost as restless as Urza. Sancha slung the water skin and other essentials from the shoulder harness and checked her weapons. The second best way to deal with frictions was to batter them apart. She'd long since abandoned her Moag sword in favor of a short club with a jagged chunk of pure iron for its head. The best way to deal with French skin Avengers, however, was to hide and let Urza demolish them with sorcery and artifice. Then wait until he shaped himself into a man again. Waiting was a difficult part. And as the years and worlds and ambulances accumulated, Urza never had a problem vanquishing the Avengers. But increasingly, he lost himself in the aftermath. Two ambushes ago, he devolved into a pillow of rainbow light that shimmered for three days before condensing into a solid, familiar form. Considering the brutal backwater worlds it frequented, Sancha desperately wanted an ambulator and the withworthal to set its black stones for a hospitable world. She'd raised the subject as often as she dared, but she didn't include a night with the ice yodians clattering with crystals across the shadows. 
The ambush came at dawn, in glass of hot, sour, Phyrexian wind. There are a score of them, not counting the two searcher priests who squatted beside the flat black ambulator. This time, the Avengers resembled huge turtles with bowl-shaped carapaces. The four blood shovel-like feet, ideal for churning through snow and ice. Instead of claws or teeth, their weapons were beams of dark radiance that shot through an opening where a turtle's head were emerged from its shell. Zansha left the turtles for Urza and the Yodians. Safe in her armor and screaming loudly, she charged the searcher priests instead, hoping to steal their ambulator. They took one look at her and retreated into the ambulator, rolling it up behind him, abandoning the Avengers. She had cursed them for their cowardice, but the searchers were hard to replace. They were subtle for Phyrexians, far more subtle than the Avengers were, because they were so powerful, were they were also stupid. She supposed the searchers would bring reinforcements, although... So far, once they'd left, they'd strayed gone. But the other skirmishes had been over sooner. Ice was not the ideal defense when the Avengers' weapon was heat. The Odians had been utterly destroyed without bringing down a single Phyrexian, which meant that Urza had to face them all. He had the skill and the power, though the turtles were a bit tougher and nastier than they'd be in the last ambush, as if Phyrexian was learning from its failures, a frightening notion in and of itself. There were only eight Avengers left, Herzat had destroyed two of them with dazzling streaks of raw power from his jeweled eyes. No one learned faster than Urza. He never tired nor betrayed his resources. As long as there was substance between his feet or stars in the sky overhead, Urza the Artificer could work his potent, uniquely potent magic. Then suddenly, his strikes were indecisive. A turtle scouted forward on child and knocked Urza backwards. The first time Urza had seen him touched in battle. He destroyed it with a gun of flames, but not before the other turtles pelted him with blasts of darkness. After that, Zanchi expected Urza to make short work of the enemies. Instead, he became vaporous, a mile light of shadows. A turtle pod passed directly through him. Zanchi thought it was another Urza's tactical p- surprise, until she saw his counter-strike pass through the turtle. Zanchi had imagined the end many times, but she never thought the end would come from turtles on an ice-bound world. Her armor would protect her, probably. Her club would, her club would have almost certainly have no effect on the Avengers meant to destroy Urza the Artificer. But Zanisha would sooner face her personal end right here, right now, than risk capture and return to Phyrexia. Or even worse, eternity on the ice-bound world. She leapt into the back of the nearest turtle and took aim at the forward gap in its carapace. The turtle proved quite agile, bucking like an unbroken horse in its effort to throw Zanisha off. She held on till two of the Avengers began target her instead of Urza. The armor held, barely. Sancha felt the dark heat of dark magic, front and back, and the crack of her ribs as they began to break, one by one, under the hammer and anvil presser. The last thing Sancha saw was Urza, brighter than the sun, and not a bad sight to carry into the darkness. Thank you for listening to Chapter 12 of Planeswalker. Please like, subscribe, and follow on YouTube and your chosen podcast platform.